they no longer can go back to their districts and say, oh, no, we're very conservative. We're some of the most conservative people in the House, and yet kill bills like this. So by being called out, what it's done is it's, it's really exposed who they are, not who we are. Does anyone else think it's a good idea to tell Representative Hageman to stay in her lane? I didn't think so. But Landon Brown did, and here we go. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to this special presentation from high above all other puerile and insipid forms of Wyoming mainstream media. This is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. Throughout this year's legislative session, Speaker of the House Albert Somers held a number of bills in his drawer. Now, what that means is that the Speaker of the House didn't even assign them to a committee so that they could be discussed. That's one of the tools that the Speaker can use to stop legislation dead in its tracks. Among others, Albert Somers refused to hear bills concerning universal school choice, a ban on teaching gender identity and sexual orientation to kindergarten through third grade, and a ban on doctors from doing sex changes on minors. Let me repeat a couple of those for you. Albert Somers refused to hear a ban on teaching gender identity and sexual orientation to kindergartners through third grade and a ban on doing sex changes on minors. Neither of those things are controversial for the vast majority of Wyoming citizens, yet they appear to be so in the Wyoming House of Representatives, or at least if you're Speaker of the House Albert Somers. Frankly, my friends, it's shocking that we even have to have a discussion as to why these things aren't being debated or why they aren't against the law already. Towards the tail end of this year's legislative session, a lot of national media was focused on Albert Somers. Articles appeared in the Washington Examiner, The Blaze. There was even a piece on Fox News about the speaker holding these bills in his drawer. Here's that soundbite. Wyoming's GOP House Speaker is getting heat from his own party for blocking two Republican-backed bills on parental rights and universal school choice. The Wyoming Freedom Caucus tweeting the legislation had, quote, been in the Speaker's drawer for 24 days. A motion was made to suspend the rule to pull the bill out of his drawer. It failed 27 to 34. The Wyoming State Speaker says he opposes the parental bill because it infringes on the authority of local school boards. Conservatives from across this country weighed in on Twitter, including Chip Roy of Texas, Scott Walker of Wisconsin, and several others, including our own Congresswoman Harriet Hageman. It all got started with a tweet from Andy Roth, who is the head of the State Freedom Caucus Network, when he posted, quote, Wyoming Speaker of the House Albert Somers is currently blocking the following bills, 
Universal School Choice banned teaching gender identity and sexual orientation to K through third graders, banned doctors from doing sex changes on minors. This is in the most Republican state in America, end quote. To which Representative Hageman replied, This is about protecting children. In Congress, I'm fighting for these very issues. I hope the Wyoming legislature will do the same, end quote. True to form, Cheyenne Representative Landon Brown couldn't help himself but weigh in. By the way, it's been 777 days since Landon Brown agreed to an interview on cowboy state politics and then didn't show up. But I digress. Anyway, here's what he said, quote, Maybe Harriet Hageman should stay in her lane. If she wants to have a say in our legislative body, maybe she should run for that office. Otherwise, bug off. I wonder when the last time Landon Brown has told his wife to stay in her lane. Interestingly enough, had it been a conservative who wrote those words on Twitter, it would be on the front page of every newspaper in Wyoming. I guess it's okay to say those things if you're a liberal. In response to all of this media attention, Speaker Summers wrote an article in the Cow Pie, and it was also sent to the Red Star, in which he said, and I quote, Bills not crafted in Wyoming often take a one-size-fits-all approach that demands the Wyoming legislature's due diligence to ensure a bill solves a problem and does not create a new one. As Speaker of the House, I have the added responsibility of keeping the House of Representatives focused on getting work done for the people of Wyoming. Skip a couple paragraphs. Bills that are unconstitutional, not well-vetted, poorly written, duplicate bills or debates, and bills that negate local control, restrict the rights of people, or risk costly litigation financed by the people of Wyoming should not become law. He goes on to say, Senate File 117, Parental Rights in Education. This bill disallows public school teachers from teaching sexual orientation and gender identity themes to children from kindergarten through third grade and directs school boards how to interact with parents. This type of teaching is not happening in Wyoming schools. Moreover, the bill strips local control. Regardless of the issue, I've always fought against taking authority away from local school boards, town councils, and county commissions. Additionally, I believe this bill is unconstitutional, as it violates the single subject rule, end quote. As I have documented over and over on this program, it absolutely is happening in Wyoming schools. Clearly, Albert Somers is just parroting the line from the Wyoming Education Association. Either that, or he's absolutely blind and incompetent. In any case, if Landon Brown or Albert Somers thought that Harriet Hegeman was going to, quote, stay in her lane and, quote, bug off, they were sorely mistaken. On the last day of Wyoming's legislative session, I caught up with United States Representative Harriet Hegeman. Here is her response. I'm joined by United States Representative Harriet Hegeman. I got to tell you, Harriet, it's kind of fun to say that now. <laughs> So welcome to the program. Thank you, and it's fun to hear that. How long are you back in Cheyenne for? Just a couple of days. This was a very short trip. I flew in Thursday evening and uh, had was able to speak to the chamber in Cheyenne on Friday. And Saturday, uh, Saturday I'm going to be going and visiting my mother, some of my family members, and I'm going to go to the La Perel Irrigation District meeting in Douglas, and then I will fly back to Washington, D.C. at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning. 
So it is a it's a very quick trip. But I will be back in DC for five days and I will be returning to Wyoming on the tenth of March and I will be doing some more town halls and getting around the state. So let's talk about some of the things that's happened in the in the legislative session. Probably the biggest one that caught the most headlines was Senate file 144, and that's the bill that would have uh, made it a crime to uh, perform a uh, transgender surgery on a minor. First of all, appropriations mutilated that bill. They amended it to such a such a degree that it was not even enforceable. So first, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. I support any piece of legislation that is going to protect our children from the type of um, extremism we're seeing on this issue. There's a couple of things that I will say about this. It is not possible for a boy to become a girl or a girl to become a boy. There, there isn't anything such as changing your gender. This is not a, a sex affirming, this is, this, this is butchery. In reality, that's what it is. There is a 100% failure rate for these surgeries because you can't make a boy a girl or a girl a boy no matter what you do to their body and no matter how much you pump them full of hormones. But in addition to that, the the level of um, problems, that are that medical problems that are created by these surgeries is just absolutely off the charts. Problems with their ability to, 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 ever, um, to, to ever consider problems with osteoporosis, problems with long-term health problems, with with long-term autoimmune disorders. We are doing things and using drugs and on on adults, let alone children, that are off-label, that we know are going to have long-term consequences, and it is just absolutely something that should not be going on. And I will double down on that when it comes to our children. So the fact that in Wyoming we are debating whether we should protect children under 18 years old from trans surgeries is shocking to me. It it absolutely blew my mind. And, I mean, there were a number of bills related to that same, uh, perhaps not the the same topic area of surgery, but there was one that would have prevented teaching sex education to kindergartners through third grade. Um, There was a couple of different bills uh, related to obscenity in the classroom. You know, the obscenity bills actually made it to the floor, but at least one of them was held in the speaker's desk, and you kind of made some headlines on that. Well, I did make he- headlines, and what I'd done is I'd simply retweeted a, tr- a tweet about the fact that Wyoming is supposed to be the, more, the most conservative state in the United States, and yet we're struggling getting these bills through, bills that to me are very common sense and, again, are designed to protect children. Um, I didn't intend to make headlines, and the other thing that I want to say is this is a personal this isn't personal about Speaker Summers. This isn't personal about Landon Brown. It's not personal against any particular member of the House of Representatives, although I think some people are attempting to make it that way. What this is about is policy. These are policy issues. As the representative from Wyoming, I have the right to, to weigh in on policy issues. I am a citizen of Wyoming. I'm a longtime citizen of Wyoming. All of my brothers and sisters live in Wyoming. I have nine nieces and nephews that live in Wyoming. I have 10 great nieces and nephews in Wyoming. All of these bills and decisions and policy uh, positions that we're talking about, they affect me and my family directly. So number one, as a citizen, I have the right to speak out. Number two, 
over the last 18 months, I have traveled 55, oh, probably over 55,000 miles now around the state of Wyoming. And I would argue that in terms of social issues, these are at the very top in terms of the interest of the citizens of this state. They're talk, the, the people of this state are talking to me about what are we doing in terms of, of allowing surgery and, and cross-sex hormones and different things for young children. What are we doing in terms of pornography in schools and libraries? What are we doing in terms of protecting our parental rights when it comes to school choice and, and being involved with kids' education? So these are issues that are very, very important to Wyoming. And again, as the representative from Wyoming, I'm going to speak about them. Well, the biggest argument against all of the all of those pieces of legislation that I heard, and it, I mean, it's a completely ridiculous argument if you ask me, but we have to support local control. That local control is the most important. That individual school districts should be able to handle this. Well, individual school districts aren't handling this. You, we've got a number of places in Wyoming where there's pornography in the schools. You know, there's a very clear leftist agenda that's being pushed inside of schools. So, in my mind, it's absolutely the legislature's place to uh, to weigh in on these matters and to solve them. If, it, if if a local school district can't solve a problem, then certainly the legislature should. Well, I find it strange when you're talking about overarching public policy positions that you would use the excuse or the, the argument of local control. Local control is to address local issues. This is not localized to Green River, Wyoming or to Sheridan, Wyoming, or to Newcastle. This is an overarching policy statement of whether the state of Wyoming believes in parental rights, for example, believes in school choice, for example. That is an overarching policy issue. When you look at our green books, when you look at our statutes, there's lots and lots of statutes that take that, that, that are addressed to overall policy positions that affect the state of Wyoming. We have the, the Environmental Quality Act. Are we going to say that, uh, that, that water quality is, is, is about local control? That the, that, the, that the Board of Public Utilities in Cheyenne ought to have one water quality and the, 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 the city council in Rollins ought to be able to adopt a different water quality. I mean, you, you can't use that excuse. There are clearly local issues. And I, and I believe in local control on localized issues that are only related to issues within that community. But you can't take something that is of this magnitude and of this importance and say, oh, well, we can't address that because of local control. That's abdicating your responsibility. And especially when it comes to a public policy statement of whether we ought to be putting 12-year-old girls on cross-sex hormones. That is not a local issue. That is a matter of public policy. Absolutely. And we've already seen examples of that in Wyoming. In, in Sweetwater County, a school board told a group of parents that the school is under no obligation to tell them what's going on with their children, nor do they have any, any intent to do so. Well, yeah. and I've introduced legislation, or I, I've been a co-sponsor of legislation in Congress, if you want to talk about Absolutely. local control, yeah. that is about particular, specifically about a parent's bill of rights. 
and it would ensure five core principles are applied. The parents have the right to know what their children are being taught. The parents have the right to be heard. The parents have the right to see the school budget and spending. The parents have the right to protect their child's privacy, and parents have the right to keep their children safe. You want to talk about an issue of local control, then I would assume that they also believe that all school funding should come from that community as well, that there shouldn't be any state funding of education. Because if it's just a local issue, then why are we spending the hundreds of millions of dollars that we do as a state every year? 1.77 billion. Okay, 1.77 billion dollars on education if it's if it's a matter of local control. Then the state shouldn't be involved at all, right? You would think. So what other pieces of legislation have you are you proposing in, in the House of Representatives? Well, particularly on these kinds of social issues, I am a co-sponsor on the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act, and it makes it a violation for a recipient of federal financial assistance uh, to permit a person whose sex is male to participate in any athletic Excellent. program or activity that is designated for women and girls. Um, you know what? I, I'm one of the first people who ever benefited from Title IX. I was in junior high starting in 1975. Title IX was adopted in 1972. Because of that, I was able to participate in livestock judging. I was able to participate in girls' basketball, all of which things we didn't have before that, and it was because of Title IX. And Title IX was specifically to make sure that girls, that women and girls were treated fairly when it came to uh, education programs and sports programs and things like that. And the fact that it has now been turned on its head to make sure that boys can compete against girls girls absolutely infuriates me. Uh, another bill that I spoke, uh, co-sponsored was Educational Choice for Children Act, and it takes a limited government approach to minimize the bureaucracy's involvement in America's education system by incentivizing individuals and cor- corporate taxpayers to actually donate to nonprofits, scholarships, and things like that. So um, I'm taking these issues head on as, as a member of Congress, and I want to live in a state that also takes these issues head on. Well, you wouldn't think that in Wyoming we would have a hard time getting these bills passed. But you know, one thing I've pointed out on my program is that the you really do have two separate groups. You have the conservatives on one side, and then you have the Democrats, which there's only five in the House and two in the Senate. But then the rest of them vote with the Democrats. I mean, it, it's it's very clear. You know, it's been interesting to watch. And again, I'm not... I'm not trying to dictate what goes in in the Wyoming legislature. That that isn't my intent. It wasn't my intent when I weighed in on this. What I'm pointing out is that there are policy concerns for the citizens of Wyoming. And you're talking about two factions, and it's playing out. And it's talked about in the press, and we're seeing it in the in the various publications, whether it's the Casper Paper or Cowboy State Daily or Wyoming Tribune Eagle. You see it in the editorials. It's clear that there is a split. Um, that's the way a republic works. It can be messy. It can be messy. And and what we have learned in Wyoming, being a predominantly Republican state, is that when you are a one party state, people have to run in that party no matter how liberal or conservative they are. People know how conservative I am. I ran. I, I was an open I think, book. I don't think there's any question about that, Harriet. Yeah, I mean, I, I ran on, on, on my background and what I was going to do. People elected me by a resounding margin. And I'm not changing. I am going to call out people, whether it's at the federal level or the state level, who are not doing what the citizens of this state want them to do. We'll get back to United States Representative Harriet Hageman in just a second. But first... A completely obscene profit timeout. 
Cowboy State Politics is brought to you by Morton Buildings. If you're in the market for an outbuilding or a garage or a barn or a roping arena or maybe a giant warehouse for your business, then you need to call the experts, Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings. Their phone number is 307-674-2532. They're the best at what they do and they've been doing it longer than anybody else around. So it doesn't really matter what type of metal structure that you have in mind. Give Nick and Jesse a call, and they'll handle all the details. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. My friends, it's Wednesday, and there's a brand new bunch of guns available at gunrunnerauctions.com. The gun of the week is lot number one. It's a United States Garand M1D in 30-06. It's in excellent condition. A super holy grail of the Korean War. It's very comfortable and has is in an outstanding investment piece that is all correct. It has an excellent 2x2 two two scope with an extendable sunshade and rubber eyepiece. Serial number 44123 with crosswire rectangle post and clear optics. It's got an unmarked scope mount, 95% matte blue finish with some scattered light handling marks on the receiver and the barrel. This is a beautiful specimen, my friends, and it's a perfect addition to any gun collection. It's lot number one, and it can be yours at GunRunnerAuctions.com. If you've been looking for a place to advertise your business, you won't find a more loyal audience than at Cowboy State Politics. Advertising on a podcast is different than on traditional radio. With radio ads, your customers may or may not hear your message. But with a podcast, people download it with an intent to listen, so they will hear your message without a doubt. And I have to tell you, my friends, nobody is going to beat my advertising rates. So if you've been thinking about advertising your business on the program, shoot me a message the address is david at cowboystatepolitics.com. I would love to get that conversation started with you. And don't forget about the Thursday live episode that begins every Thursday at 10 a.m. You can find the link at cowboystatepolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. And now the conclusion to our discussion with United States Representative Harriet Hageman. Okay, let's take this to the national level for a minute. Um, there was a bill that was recently passed by the House concerning executive orders and specifically how they impact inflation. Yes, we could just you, did that this week. Could you tell, tell us about this? And then I've got a follow-up question Okay, to it. sure. So what we did is um, what, the, what the latest bill was, and it was specific about inflation, is that any executive orders that are issued, they have to report what kind of inflationary pressures they place on, on our economy. Note. They have to have a fiscal note. That's exactly right. And so that passed uh, the House of Representatives just this week. Okay. Now, I watched a video of another representative, Chip Roy from Texas, absolutely excoriating the House. And he his point was that while, it re- while that piece of legislation relates to executive orders, it specifically exempted emergency orders or disaster orders. So, I voted with him. 
Excellent. That was going to be my question. Yeah, I voted with him. There were 50, 49 of us or 50 of us that voted with that. I don't know why we don't want to know the inflationary impacts, regardless of, of, of what the purpose of the funding is, or the executive order or the actions are. And so I was actually surprised that it it wasn't 50. It was much higher than that. Sometimes we had so many votes uh, yesterday and the day before that I'm, I can sometimes uh, uh, confuse them a little bit. No, that one, we came very, very close. I think we had 199 votes on his um, uh, on his particular amendment. It did fail. Uh, but I think that we ought to be looking at the inflation of, of all of these activities. Because I also know at the federal level, when you've got these the, the spending for uh, emergencies and things like that, that's all pork barrel as well. Absolutely so much of that is pork barrel. Okay, so let's talk about um, I, a couple of issues I know people want to hear you weigh in on. On the radio today, they were talking about the FBI and how they become politicized. Director Christopher Ray testified either today or yesterday and didn't answer any questions. He doesn't. Are we are we getting closer to getting to the bottom of that, or where, where well, is it's, that at? Well, it's a long-term battle. Let me just put it that way. But I am on the weaponization committee. This, I'm on the select committee for the weaponization of the federal government. And the FBI, the DOJ, the NIH, the CDC, uh, these agencies are, are front and center in terms of who we are going to be investigating and trying to get additional information. One of the things that I found interesting is that the FBI is now weighing in and saying that they believe that the um, uh, COVID-19 came from the Wuhan lab. Surprise! Surprise! Yeah, none of us knew that, right? No, no, none of us did at all. <laughs> for th- for three years, we've been screaming it at the top of our lungs, in part because they could never produce the animal that allegedly transmitted it from them from uh, to to the into the human sphere, if you will. I want people to watch this because we need to look under behind the curtain. We need to look under the hood and find out why now. Are they willing to admit this? What is it that they're scared of? What I what I have found in in watching these agencies and overseeing these bureaucrats and and watching what they do and and their their attempt to manipulate us, whenever they make a decision, it's because not making that decision is more costly. So what is it that they're trying to cover up by admitting, oh, yeah, COVID-19 probably came from a lab and everybody's being very, very, very careful to say it was a leak it was a leak from the lab. That's what they believe. Well, how do we know that? And one of the things that we absolutely have to get the, the information about, and, and uh, Senator Cruz and Josh Hawley said the same thing yesterday, which is we want all of the documentation. We want all the evidence showing why they have now decided that it came from that laboratory. What is it that changed their minds? Or did they know all along and they were just covering it up? I think the latter is probably I, more I, likely. I, I think that it is too, David. And that's the that's the problem that we have with our government right now. Our government has become terribly corrupt. And as a result, so many of us who want to, I'm not anti-government, but I'm anti-bad government. And we know that our government needs to function for our sake. What we're worried about is that there is that, that the government has become so corrupt on so many different levels that we're terribly distrustful of them. And the only way we're going to get that trust back is through sunshine. Sunshine is the best disinfectant. And we need to have the declassification of wholesale areas uh, of concern, such as how do we know that it came from the COVID lab? How long has it been covered up? 
what did China know? And the other thing I want to know is, how was it able to spread as quickly as it was? When it originated in Wuhan, how was it that in a matter of days and weeks, entire countries had to shut down? How did it spread that quickly? Well, it certainly spread faster than any other any other virus or bacteria. I mean, it was amazing to watch. Italy. Yeah, Italy exploded Explo- almost overnight. Instantaneously. How? That isn't how viruses work. Well, it is if you have people flying all over the world that are infected. We need to get to the bottom of this. We need to get to the bottom of this. So, yes, I do believe that we will be doing an additional, I know that we will be doing additional investigations into the FBI and the Department of Justice, just to name two of them. One more question. I know there's a couple of things that you want to get to also. Um, so what's going on with the laptop? Um, another area that we will be looking at. There was uh, someone who was, I was just standing next to yesterday, and he said, I don't even, not yesterday, uh, just this week, um, there, there are people who are doing the deep dives into the laptop, and there is going to be a lot more information that is disclosed. And I want to make it clear, this isn't about Hunter Biden. This is about Hunter Biden's connection to Joe Biden. I get tired of the effort to deflect attention of who cares about Hunter Biden? Who cares about Hunter Biden? I want to know to what extent our foreign policy is being dictated by the fact that the president's son was engaging in things that he shouldn't have been engaging in. And to the extent that I I, I can hear all those heads out there exploding about what about Trump? What about Trump? What about Trump? What about Donald Trump Jr.? None of them engaged in what Hunter Biden was doing. I have often said that one of the most important inflection points in this country in the last 50 years was the election of Bill and Hillary Clinton, and here's why. They monetized the White House. For one of the first times in our history, they made it so you could walk out of that out of the White House and make massive amounts of money with your connections and with claiming that you were going to run for president. They monetized the White House, and Hunter Biden took that, uh, that, to that business model to an extreme. And to what extent is China dictating our, uh, our policy because of what is going on with Hunter Biden? To what extent are we sending $113 billion in counting to the Ukraine because of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden? and their activities in that country. All of this needs to be exposed. How is it that a balloon could traverse our entire country and nothing was done about it until it had gone all the way across to South Carolina? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There are just too many things that have happened and we're entitled to uh, to get more information. I always say, one of the things that sets us apart or has historically set us apart is that we are, are a government of by and for the people. You can't classify everything and say that the citizens of this country are not entitled to know what is going on. We are entitled to know that the default should be everything ex- is disclosed and exposed, not the withholding of everything. Okay, Elida, I have one more question. Sure. All right, so the Gover- Governor Gordon issued a press release today saying that he was going to allow the crossover bill to become law without his signature. And in his press release said he doubts the impact of crossover voting. So you were involved in that in his first gubernatorial, well, not in his campaign, but you were running for governor at I the same time. I ran against him. Yeah. So in your, in your opinion, first, what is the effect of... Uh, is the impact of crossover voting, and two, what do you expect this uh, the crossover voting bill to remedy, if anything? 
Well, one of the things is that we always kind of look at the top line election and say, did it impact that? Did it impact the 2018 governor's race? Did it impact the 2022 congressional race? But keep in mind, they don't just cross over and vote in those particular elections. They're crossing over and they're going down the line. And so, again, what you're talking about is that you're having liberals and Democrats make decisions about who is getting elected from top to bottom in this state by, by participating in the Republican primary. And personally, I think that's wrong. So we do know, and I believe that the number in 2018 was around 12,000 votes that were that crossed over and voted in the governor's race. If you look at the difference between Mark Gordon and um, uh, Foster Freeze, it was very close. And so I know that the paper keeps saying and the press keeps saying, oh, but it had no difference. It had no impact in 2018. It had no impact in 2018. I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that's true. Mark Gordon is our governor. I'm working with him on a variety of things. That isn't the way that you look at it, though. You have to look at it that affects every single race out there. So it's not just the the marquee ones. As far as 2022, we know that there were, what, 25 to 35,000 Democrats crossed over to vote for Liz Cheney. She ultimately had about 48,000 votes. I beat her by by close to 38 points. Um, It would have been absolutely a crushing, crushing defeat had we not had 30,000 Democrats cross over. And the reason that's important is because of exactly what we started out this conversation about, which is what is what do the citizens of Wyoming want? We are a republic. We're a representative form of government. I represent the, the citizens of Wyoming when I go back to Washington, D.C. I have to listen to them. I have to listen to their issues, their concerns, what they want to see me do. I have to listen to that. And if you were to show that Liz Cheney got crushed not by the amount that, it, that she did, 38 crushing. points. She was already qu- crushing. But what does the message send if, she's, if she would have only won 15,000 votes or 20,000 votes? That, that sends a pretty strong message as to where the electorate is. That's an important metric. That's important information. And so I disagree with... Um, with people who say, oh, it's not going to make any difference, then why did they fight it so hard? And I'm not suggesting that that Governor Gordon did, but there were other people who did. But it reflects what the electorate in Wyoming believes and wants. And we have the right to make the determination about our own primaries and what candidates are going to represent us. So what else you got? You have a long list of notes there. What else you got on there? (laughs) Well, one of the things that's been interesting about this entire discussion about whether I can weigh in on state issues, which I just want everybody to understand, I will continue to do so. You all knew who you were electing when you elected me, and I will continue to weigh in on issues that are important to the state of Wyoming, important to our constituency, and important from a policy standpoint. One of my biggest issues is that I want to take power out of Washington, D.C. I don't want to continue stockpiling more and more power back there. I want to make Washington, D.C. as irrelevant to our lives as is absolutely possible. I want to bring that power back to Wyoming, and I want us to, to, to set the course for our own destiny. But we have to make sure that we've got people here in Wyoming who have the leadership qualities to actually do what the people of Wyoming want. So it's, it's doubly important to me. I want our leaders to step up and do what the citizens are asking for, and especially on these kinds of extremely important public policy issues uh, that are affecting all of us. 
You know, it's fascinating to me that you have a you have an electorate from from everything that I I could see, and I I tend to I try to be really open minded about about all this stuff, but they've from my perspective, the electorate has moved very, like way more to the right than in years past. In the last primary, we added 16 seats, conservative seats, to the House of Representatives. I think that's a pretty good indication that, that the electorate has moved further right, or maybe it's just that they're paying more attention now. Either one of those could be true. It's absolutely essential that we, we have leaders in our state legislature that, that reflect the values of the people that voted them into office. And I don't know if, we, if we're quite there yet. It's also important that we have leaders in our legislature and at all levels of government that they actually legislate and govern the way that they claim that they would when they ran for that office in the first place. <laughs> now that is, a, is an entirely different question. We we should demand. We should demand it. We should demand that our le- that our legislators uh, vote and act the way that they claimed that they would when they were seeking people's votes. You know, it was fascinating because I've been down here for two months, and so you know, a couple times a week, my dad will call me, and he'll tell me what my representative, Representative Craig O and Senator Kinsky, have been saying back home in the in the local papers, and invariably, it's the exact opposite of what happened. And so I, I think that that's just, you know, one example of what happens statewide. And if you look at a lot of the policies that failed in this legislative session, I mean, I think it's very clear that, you know, a lot, a lot of Wyoming citizens were not getting the representation that they paid for, that they voted for anyway. Yeah, that they voted for. Well, again, this isn't personal to me. It is simply a matter of we, we are facing such serious, serious, serious um, attack on our culture on our on who we are as a as a country on what we're going to do in terms of of uh, protecting children on our families on so many different things and we've got to step up you know it was interesting that Al Simpson and I think it was Wes Reeves or the who, who, Al Simpson especially talked about how it was absolutely the first time in history that anybody in Congress or the Senate had ever weighed in on a state issue that's on face not true well it's <laughs> it's it's not only yeah it, it, setting that aside for a moment um <laughs> We've never faced a circumstance where one of the major political parties believes that we ought to be putting 12-year-olds on cross-sex hormones. We've never faced a circumstance where parents going to school boards and asking for accountability are being labeled by the federal government as domestic terrorists. We have never faced a moment in time where you have one political party that is attempting to destroy our standard of living by destroying our ability to access affordable and clean energy. We have never faced a moment in time where we are expected, we as the United States are expected to protect the border integrity of every country on earth except our own. We have never faced a moment in time where we have China and Mexico uh, uh, trafficking uh, people across that border and and bringing in uh, uh, smuggling drugs that are sufficient of killing every single person 
in our country in terms of their quantity it's just and their lethality. So it is interesting to me that you would trot out somebody who, who really has not been involved in politics for, I don't know, 15, 20 years to talk about, well, I'd never, you know, you know, in the 1970s, we did such and such. In the 1980s, we did such and such. You know, I'd kind of like to go back to the 1980s too oh, man. in terms of policies and what our government is doing. We've moved beyond that. And we're going to have to step up, and we're going to have to fight for our citizens, and we're going to have to fight for our children, and we're going to have to fight for our country, and we're going to have to fight for our culture, because we're being torn asunder from within. So I really don't want to hear somebody say, you know what, 25 years ago, we never would have done that. Yeah, well, 25 years ago isn't today. Today, we have got to engage, we've got to step up, and we've got to do something to protect the greatest country in the history of the world and make sure that we do that at every level and on every issue that is important to us. Well, Harriet, that's why we sent you there. (laughs) Thanks, David. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to visit with me this afternoon. Please keep us updated on anything that that you can that's happening in D.C. Please have a safe trip back there. Thank you, thank you. That'll do it for today's installment of the program. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again tomorrow during Thursday's live episode that begins at 10 a.m. But for now, from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics.